We're going to turn to God's Word in that passage, as I mentioned earlier, in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 14 to 21, and then I'm going to read verses 36 to 41 just after that. So let me read Acts chapter 2, verses 14 following. It's the NIV uh, translation of musing. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it's after that, after that pretty encompassing uh, promise that God gives about pouring out his spirit on all people, Peter then preaches, preaches a great sermon. And then uh, we rejoin the narrative whenever the crowd respond and ask him a question. Well, we'll start actually with the last words that Peter says in his sermon. It says, therefore, in verse 36 of chapter 2, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is God's word for us this morning. So let's, let's pray together before we look at God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> we thank you for the encouragements that you give to us. And, and we're excited by this passage of scripture that reminds us of the promise that you've given of the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Father, we long for that, that to be so aware of the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives as a congregation and as individuals. Father, help us to know your truth today. Help us to, to learn from you as you teach us as to how you work in our lives, both as a church and individuals. So hear our prayers because we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. We all love those keynote speeches whenever people get up and they, they speak and all of a sudden we find ourselves being motivated. Somebody has touched a nerve and, and all of a sudden we're thinking, yes, I'm, I'm in there. I, I get it. I want to be part of this. I want to... Because someone has, has taken the time to explain to us what's been happening and, and we get motivated. 
This was one of those occasions in the early church in Acts chapter 2. Daryl Bach in his commentary on Acts says this, whenever he speaks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and particularly Peter's speech whenever he's filled with the Holy Spirit to speak, this initial speech by Peter is about promise, fulfillment, and the resurrection and ascension. So what Peter, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, is doing is speaking about promise, fulfillment, and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Peter is explaining God's plan. God had promised an outpouring of his spirit before the day of the Lord in the book of Joel. In Psalm 16, we're told about the resurrection and the ascension then in Psalm 110 and verse 1. So Peter is reminding us of the promises of God. And Darrell Bock goes on to say that Peter is highlighting who Jesus is and what God is doing through him. That God has validated him through the resurrection and ascension, furthering God's message as Jesus then mediates the Holy Spirit to us. So that's what's going on here. There's a focus on the promises of God, what God has already said, and now the fulfillment of that. As Peter speaks, as the Holy Spirit is outpoured, thinking about the resurrection and thinking about the ascension. Promise, fulfillment, resurrection, and ascension. So, first thing I want you to notice as we look at as we read that section, the Spirit is outpoured in the church. Alcohol has a profound influence on people. It can change their attitude, can change their conversation, can change their actions, and sometimes with very difficult circumstances. Alcohol can control people. That's exactly why Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, don't be controlled by wine or don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the idea in Ephesians 5 is about being controlled or being led by the Spirit of God. So Peter now deals with what's been happening up to this point. The Holy Spirit has come upon these disciples and they began to speak in tongues so that every person from every other place and every language could understand the message of Christ. And so he says, look, these men are not drunk as you think they are. You've got it very wrong, actually. They're not being controlled by alcohol. They're actually being controlled by the Spirit of God. It's too early in the morning for alcohol. And so again, the idea is a fulfillment of what God has promised. This is what will happen in the last days, as we were told in, in the book of Joel. And the last days start at Pentecost and then finish whenever Jesus returns. He will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Isn't that an incredible promise that we have today? And so what is happening here in Acts 2 is that God is fulfilling his promise and the Spirit is building up the church of Jesus Christ. He's come upon the disciples. They're speaking. The Spirit builds the church. People come to, to the church, come into church membership in that way. 
And so the effect of the Spirit's outpouring is a prophetic gift. The disciples then are speaking in tongues so that everybody present from wherever they are are able to hear the good news about Jesus Christ in their own language. They can understand it. They can respond to it. And that's why then it goes on to say, in response we are told, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a call to repentance. A call to the hope of forgiveness. And Peter echoes that later on in his sermon. But it shows us that salvation is ultimately God's work in the power of his spirit and is accessible to all. If you call as the Spirit prompts you, then you will experience God's working in your life and you can be saved. As the Spirit is made manifest, the disciples and the crowd are moved. People hear and understand the message and respond positively and lives are being transformed. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But you see, as I thought about this, you know, there were probably a lot more than 3,000 people there. So others have heard, but have responded negatively and remain unchanged. Because each person responds to the work of the Spirit in different ways under the same conditions. We need to remember that the work of the Spirit, as the Spirit is outpoured, is not our work. It's not our responsibility. It's God's. But then you'll notice as well that as the Spirit comes upon them and as they, they proclaim uh, what the Spirit tells them to do, and they do that in different languages, we're told the Spirit points people to Jesus. As Peter speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit, his focus seems to be singular. He gets to the heart of the message and it's all about Jesus. The Spirit comes upon him and he empowers him to speak about God's plan of salvation for mankind in Christ. We're told he speaks very clearly about Jesus of Nazareth who was attested by God, who did amazing things through him. He was delivered up according to God's foreknowledge and plan. It was those religious leaders who crucified and killed him. Peter concludes, he's very direct and he says, you crucified and killed him. All these were fulfilling the, the plan of God. Peter tells us about Jesus' death and the reason for it. And that's what he's doing here. He was killed. He was crucified. Because he is the Christ. He is one who came as God's anointed one. Who will bring about salvation. Peter tells us the death and the reason for it. But the spirit leads him further. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. God has transformed this situation. And what men tried to do. God reversed Men tried to kill Jesus, but God made him alive. And just as Jesus' death was part of God's plan, so was his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. 
that was already foretold in Psalm 16. Again, promise, fulfillment, resurrection, ascension. You know, this is very important for us to understand because Jesus himself spoke about his resurrection, that he would be raised. It's important for us to understand that God's Spirit points people to Jesus, just like the spotlight of you go past, sometimes you go past churches and you see spotlights lighting up the side of the, the, the brick in the, the building. And the spotlight's task is to focus on the building. So it is with the Spirit of God, focusing on Jesus, focusing us on Jesus. He is the Christ, God's anointed, able to accomplish his plan of salvation for us. That he has dealt with our sin and made a living relationship with God possible. That's Jesus. That's what he has done. John has been already telling us that in our series in 1 John that we were looking at previously. It's by the Spirit that we, have, that we acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. And by the Spirit that we're able to acknowledge that he is the Savior of the world. It's the Spirit who enables us to see Jesus, who he is and what he has done, that he is the hope of mankind. The Spirit of God points us to Jesus just in the same way that whenever the, the Holy Spirit came upon those disciples, and particularly Peter as he spoke, he pointed them to Jesus and the hope that there was in Christ. And that's the focus he has in our lives too. But we also see the Spirit's poured out in all believers. We're told here that God exalted Jesus. God made him Lord and Messiah, made him Christ. He raised him up to the right hand of the Father, approving all that he did to give him the place of supremacy over the universe. This exaltation of Jesus is a necessary part of the apostolic message. It still remains a part of, of, our, of the Apostles' Creed that we'll be using later on. Everything testifies, the disciples, the prophets, Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit, that God has made him both Lord and Messiah. The key verse for that is in verse 36. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There's a contrast here uh, between the way the religious leaders treated Jesus and God's treatment of him. The leaders rejected him and condemned him to death. But God authenticates his claims and brings him back to life and exalts him as Lord and Christ. It's important for us to get that, that Jesus has a name that is above every other name, that he is Lord, he is exalted, because it's from that place of exaltation that he's able to give us his Holy Spirit. Because God raised him from the dead, he is alive, and ultimately we're told he's interceding for us, he's praying for us as we seek to serve him. But he also is able from there to give us his Holy Spirit to help us every day of our lives. God gave Jesus his Spirit and now Jesus is able to pour out his Spirit on us as his followers and his church. No matter who we are, we are able to experience his presence 
through his spirit living with us. Jesus living in us by his spirit. That's why we're told in, in verses like Philippians 1 and 6, he who began the good work in you'll bring it to completion in the day of Christ. Because Jesus walks with us. We don't have his physical presence like the disciples had, but we have his spirit walking with us through all the experiences that we have. The good, the bad, the indifferent. He's able to keep us going. What Peter's listeners had just experienced was the external outpouring of God's Spirit. Jesus had received the Spirit in his ministry and was now imparting that same Spirit to his followers to continue his ministry on earth. Do you know, that's what happens for us. As we respond, as we call upon the name of the Lord, we are given his Holy Spirit to help us every day of our lives. You know, sometimes we think it's so difficult to be a Christian. It is. There's no doubt about that. And yet the reality is we are given his Holy Spirit to walk with us. The truth is that we can do nothing apart from Jesus. And so therefore we need his presence with us. He's the one who produces fruit in our lives. The fruit of joy, peace, patience, kindness, love, all of those things in ways that we can't reproduce them. But he also gives us gifts and develops those gifts of the Spirit within us. He's our encourager, our enabler, our teacher, our sanctifier. In other words, he makes us more like Jesus, teaches us what's right and wrong. So Jesus gives us his Spirit doesn't John remind us that that's how we know we belong to him? That's how we know we know God. Because he has given us his spirit and his spirit lives within us. What an encouragement to think about the Holy Spirit coming into the church and into us. That this is the work that he does. Sometimes we struggle so much because it's so much effort to do what we feel we have to do and to get the jobs done, to get them to service served. And, and yet, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us, who leads and directs and guides us. But then we see the Spirit's work in us, and that's why I wanted to read those, those verses in chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. Because if we look at that, we're reminded of the impact of the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. And this happens in church life, it happens in our lives, it can happen in the lives of anyone. He makes the presence and the message of God very real to us. He provokes a response to what we see and what we hear from God. He's the one who helps us to see that. Maybe something happens, and it's the Holy Spirit who works in us to bring us closer to God, to remind us, to teach us, to enable us. In working through this message which Peter has preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, the lives of the disciples, but also the lives of the listeners are transformed because they're thinking. Peter has been preaching and they've been listening to it. And all of a sudden, they begin to think thoughts that they never thought they would think. And so the Spirit's at work creating those thoughts, working in their hearts and minds. 
And they're thinking, if Jesus was the appointed Messiah, then no guilt could be greater than ours for treating him the way we did. If God came to us with hope in Christ and we've rejected it, then we're guilty. And the hope that's offered is no longer there. We have no hope. And the Spirit of God works with that in their hearts and lives to help them to see that their relationship with God is not the way it should be. And we're told they were cut to the heart. As they cry out, Peter assures them that there's hope. You see, the Spirit had brought a deep conviction into their hearts that they offended God who loved them deeply and was offering them something very special. They had rejected what he had intended as their salvation, as their hope, as their new life. Now, as the Spirit of God comes upon them, they want to resolve that. They are cut to the heart because of the message that they've heard and they want it resolved. And so then that's when Peter comes in and says, look, there is hope. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is about a complete change of heart and mind, a spiritual about turn, which ends up in trusting Jesus. It's, it's kind of like a call to repentance, which has been part of John the Baptist's ministry and also part of Jesus' ministry right up to this point. It's not new. It was an essential part of the good news that they had to turn from their ways and turn to Christ. It's a willing submission to Jesus Christ, putting their faith in him for salvation. So they were cut to the heart. They then repented and were baptized in the name of Jesus and then were told to receive the forgiveness of sins. And I suppose this is about accepting. And, and what Peter is saying to them is, look, God has made a promise that this will happen. Now you've got to accept it. You've got to accept the fact that your sin, whatever it is that's causing the barrier between you and God, actually has now been paid for. Sometimes we're good at raising those things again and keeping reminding ourselves of our sin. And maybe the devil's good at that in our lives. He's able to rake up things from dear knows when. But now accept the fact that your sin, whatever is causing you the barrier between you and God, that it's been paid for. The guilt you know is yours is taken away from you and your shame that you feel is covered by Christ and what he has done. In fact, Psalm 103 reminds us that the Lord takes away our sin and remembers it no more. If he doesn't remember it, why should I be remembering it? If I've confessed it, if I've talked to Christ about it, ask for forgiveness. But then he gives us another promise. Whenever he says, not only do we receive forgiveness, but we receive the Holy Spirit. Here we have a step of faith in allowing ourselves to receive from God 
to receive from Jesus the gift of his Holy Spirit as we submit to his presence in our lives. Sometimes we probably feel that we need to work for everything we get. And it's not the same if we don't feel we've worked for it, we haven't achieved it. All this waiting and receiving maybe sometimes goes against the grain a bit. But Peter's telling us the crowd, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what will happen as you respond to Christ and his good news. In the power of the Spirit Peter um, has received, he then exhorts his hearers to be saved, to turn to Christ, to, to sort out the, the, the feelings and the thoughts that they have, to, to commit those to Christ. And about 3,000 people were saved that day. It, it kind of strikes me in this, you know, we think 3,000 people is a huge number. It's a big lot of people, and it, and it, and it is. One of the things that strikes me here is that what, what we're being told is not just that 3,000 people were saved that day, but actually God was in the business of transforming the lives of 3,000 individual people. That God was doing a work in each of their lives that day, all at the one time. This is something we can never think of doing. I think their lives were saved means that they were not only rescued from the coming wrath of God, but it means that their lives were transformed. As Jesus tells us in John 10, verse 10, they were able to live life to the full, which Jesus spoke about. Their lives have taken on a new meaning, a new purpose in Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit as they come into community with God's people as part of his family through the Spirit. This is the reality of the Holy Spirit in the church. We are baptized into a community, into a family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Given new life together. New life in him. As we share together in serving him. So the Spirit is poured out in the church. The Spirit points people to Jesus. The Spirit is poured out on all believers and the Spirit ultimately works in us as he comes to live within us because Jesus gives gifts to his church. He gives the gift of the Holy Spirit when we ask, we're told. Let's make sure that we ask for that gift from God, for the Holy Spirit in our lives and also in the life of our church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for the encouragement that you give to us in it. Father, we're amazed at the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and we thank you that he does point us to Jesus. In, the, in him we have hope, we have life. We have your presence with us every day to help us. Lord, because we feel the weakness of our own lives, we feel we lack strength and courage and all of those things even at times lack love and lack so much. And yet we look to you as the one who is able to provide for us, to inspire us and to help us and to work with us as we look at your love for us, as we look at what you have done in our lives, as we turn from our sin and turn to Christ, 
as we receive the forgiveness of sins, as we receive the Holy Spirit, those promises that you have given to us that we can grasp a hold of today. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point, we're going to be uh, sharing together around the Lord's table. And uh, today it's very important for us as a congregation because uh, Jessica Brown is going to come in to fill membership in our church. And Jessica has already been meeting with the, the Kirk session and they have formally received her into the fellowship here in Carmoney. So, Jessica, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to invite you to, um, in joining Carmoney Church, invite you to profess your faith in Christ and your commitment to his church. So, it was Jesus who said, whoever acknowledges me before others, well, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And so I'm going to ask you these, these questions, Jessica. Believing in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and confessing Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord, do you promise to join regularly with your fellow Christians in worship on the Lord's Day? Do you promise to be faithful in reading the Bible and in prayer? Do you promise to give a fitting portion of your time, talents, and money for the church's work in the world? Do you promise, depending on the grace of God, to profess publicly your loyalty to Jesus Christ, to serve him in your daily work, and to walk in his ways all the days of your life. Thank you. I would like to pray for Jessica. So maybe as a, a symbol of our unity in Christ and encouragement for Jessica, perhaps we could all stand. Father, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you that you continue to work with us each day as we look to you in faith. We want to thank you this morning for Jessica. And we thank you for the way in which you have worked in her life and bringing her to faith and also bringing her today to become a full member of the church here in Carmoney. We pray for your presence in her life. We pray that you would continue to reveal yourself by your Holy Spirit, that she might be so aware of the presence of, of Jesus in her life, in your spirit living in her. We pray that you would help her, that she might be able to fulfill those vows and those promises that she's made today in honoring Jesus in her life. Father, we thank you that she has joined here in Carmoney. And for the fellowship of God's people here, we just pray for encouragement for one and for all so that each might know your presence and they might be bonded together in your love, in unity, in your spirit. So hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Just while, while we're standing as well, um, I think it's one of your uh, traditions in Carmoney to share together in the Apostles' Creed. So I think it would be very good, there's going to be thinking about this later on as well. We're going to uh, repeat together the Apostles' Creed. I think it's going to come up on the screen. This states what we believe uh, in our, our Christian faith. So let's, let's do that. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his Holy Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit 
and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may take your seats. At this point, I want to invite everyone who knows and loves Jesus as Lord and Savior to join with us as we share together at this communion service, as we participate at the Lord's table. Again, if you're watching online at this point, if you would like to get your elements ready, uh, then we can share together. And obviously, here in Carmani, you can have your capsule ready as well. But just let's pray uh, in preparation for sharing together. So let's pray. Our God, as we remember the body broken, we realize that Christ has taken our punishment, our guilt, our shame, and our sin. We also acknowledge that through his blood, we are able to be part of a new covenant and a new community with you. We praise you for the forgiveness of sin, new life in and through Christ, and the presence of your outpoured Holy Spirit. We are privileged to be a part of your body. As we honor Jesus today, enable us to discern the body and to celebrate our unity in Christ. Enable us to see the realities behind these elements. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.